This is Pop Culture Confidential, and I'm Christina Yerling Biru. Hey everyone, welcome to Pop Culture Confidential and an exciting June at the movies. Ryan McQuaid is here, executive editor over at Ward's Watch, to talk about some of these big June releases, a couple of them that have already been released and a couple that are coming up. Ryan, how are you? I'm doing great. It's June. It's I'm here in Texas and it is 100 degrees all week long um, and it's terrible outside so it's a perfect <laughs> time to go to the movies oh my god like, I, I, just, I just stepped outside my house the other day for like two seconds and i went nope and i went right <laughs> back inside because i was like this is this is, in, in uh for your listeners out there if they if they've never been to texas highly i mean some parts yes highly recommend not a lot of it um but uh i it was seven o'clock eight o'clock the other night and it was still 95 degrees out here so <sighs> Um, yeah, just, um, go to the theaters. It's cool in there. They and sell what's soft like drinks. August like, oh gosh, oh, June, July, and August are the worst. Uh, everybody that loves cold weather, I guess, comes here. And then I guess that that's my time to then leave. Um, <laughs> but uh, you know, I, I will say Texas in like January, February, March, is kind of really great weather because uh. it's cool. And, you know, it's like every it's normal, like everywhere else, you know, where it's cool, but it's not too hot, you know, sunny, not a lot of rain. So but yeah, perfect time to go to the movies. Well, good. We have we have a lot of movies to talk about. I just want to quickly say as we were preparing to get started here today news came over the film twitter wire that the oh, golden no. globes are being acquired by dick clark productions and that the hollywood foreign press association is as they call it in this first article winding down we don't have a lot of information of what this means but do you have a really quick read on this as everyone knows, I the mean, Hollywood Foreign Press Association has been surrounded by controversy for many years now. So people have sort of been wondering what will happen to the Golden Globe ceremony. Yeah, I mean, obviously, we don't have a lot of information still as to what winding down means, because if you're dissolving the Hollywood Foreign Press, you're dissolving the membership. And then you're also dissolving the members that you just brought on. In terms of you, I mean, they they brought on a ton of new members this past year, which was part of their diversity, you know, uh, campaign initiative mm -hmm. to um, clear up a lot of their racism allegations, their problematic allegations that they've been having. The reason why they didn't have a show two years ago, and the show this past year was actually pretty good, but it was still kind of marred in a little bit of are the stars going to come? Did, do they come kind of, there was, it was still kind of a weird vibe, I guess you can say to it, but it, it actually went over pretty well. Um, maybe not in the ratings, but, but definitely in terms of like, you know, a lot of the stars showed up and um, I think the only one person that didn't show up that was accepting their awards was Kate Blanchett. And she was in like London for the premiere of, of Tar. So, and Tom Cruise, um, who had actually given yeah, well, and Tom Cruise, Golden but Globes. <laughs> exactly. That's, he doesn't that's show fair. Up he to was just going to, he doesn't show up to many things. And I think that's probably because no, he doesn't like questions. Um, but 
Um, I and think really, that who does like questions? Who likes questions? I mean, I mean maybe guests on a podcast. I <laughs> yeah. don't know, you know. Um, but I, I think that you know, Dick Clark Productions picking this up, it feels like they're going to get a deal then signed up for maybe either with NBC or somebody else. I, that'll happen. They're going to still be a a date. I believe is January seventh of twenty twenty four for the. Uh, the ceremony this year, there will be a, still a fixture in this whole thing, but there'll be a fixture without the Hollywood foreign press being in charge anymore. Um, and I think that that's actually a really good thing. Not mm-hmm. having them in charge of it um, is fine. I think that the voting membership. Yeah, they need a voting membership. I mean, that that's, yeah. they need a voting body in order to have yeah. ceremony, one would think. Yeah, you can't because <laughs> but, then it's just bought at that point. Yeah. You know what I mean? So I think that. I think they'll take the membership that is existing. They'll vet those again. Um, maybe even kick out even some more of the problematic elements that are still a part of it, but while also keeping a lot. Um, I don't want this to be a indie spirit sort of thing. Um, I think that that would be an absolute disaster for it. I don't know if a critic's choice thing is any better because um, then because then uh, that dilutes critics choice, but then it also dilutes the Golden Globes a little bit because they are exclusive, um, much like kind of like the Oscars really, too. You know, uh, I don't want the industry really in, involved too much with it as well, because then uh, it feels like then, you know, people buying awards or whatever. Um, so it's a weird, it's weird to see where they're going to go forward, but honestly, I think that they have this international vibe over it. I mean, we don't know. I think that they will. I think they will. I think they have to, that's been their identity for such a long time. Um, I don't think that it'll become a U.S. based award, uh, cause there are already enough of those with the guilds and, and the Oscars and everything. So I, I, I think that, I think that they'll just call them the golden globe, you know, body or voting you know thanks to the members of the golden globes association or something like that um and and that's you know and that's probably what they'll call them um but uh it is it is a big shake-up it is a big shake-up um what they'll probably be what Dick Clark Clark Productions wants. Yeah, that's true. That's true. But I mean, what what they want is access to that, the trademark that is the Golden Globe Award yeah, show. Yeah, it's a it, big brand. Which is a good yeah. brand and, and people have enjoyed that show and it's the fun show, the one where people drink and sit at tables and, and, yeah. and have- It, it really is. Let's get started. So at least at the movies- both you and I have thought that June has started off pretty spectacularly, and that is with mm-hmm. Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse. I think we both really mm-hmm. like it. I want to start off by talking about this. This is a sequel to the 2018 Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. This one is directed by Joaquin Dos Santos, Kemp Powers, and Justin K. Thompson, with a screenplay by Phil Lord and Christopher Miller. Um, now, I was blown away by this movie let what did you think i think this is um i mean it starts off with a with a bang right um it's kind of hard to quantify the impact that into the spider-verse had um i think on online and it's in its sort of impact in the award season it was such a big player but then um it wasn't that big of a box office kind of success i think people um you know, it, it it was a little low, but I think over time, well, the last five years or so, it's really caught on an audience 
social media has gone crazy. The song Sunflower from that film went to number one and um, the buzz was building. And I, I tend to not try to brag too much about things, um, but I have to say, I I saw that this was coming for its box office um, play because it, it, it did a three and a half times multiplier at the box office. It's opening weekend from its first opening weekend of Into the Spider-Verse to what Across the Spider-Verse did. Um, which is very unheard of for, you know, even just for a sequel, usually like a sequel will double itself or maybe just, you know, give itself like a, maybe a 50% bus, uh, like bump or like, you know, one and a half times multiplier. Um, but not a three and a half. That's, that's kind of like what John Wick has been doing, right. You know, which has been building and building upon itself. And, um, and the reason why is, is because it's, it's, I mean, Spider-Man as a brand is so big. We've seen so many of these Dan films. There's like 10 of 10 or 11 of them at this point, but these are special. I think they're special because of the animation and the leaps and bounds that this team over at Sony is willing to do in terms of creating these very different worlds. We have a lot of multiverse movies out nowadays between the, the Marvel films and everything everywhere all at once. And, and these films and and everything what in between. What is not a multiverse today? Really? Yeah, I, it's it's getting to the point where it's like, stop. you know, what <laughs> I mean, stop making multiverse films. But if you're going to make them, take it and kind of expand it. And I think that these these multiverse films, these first two into the spider, the uh, spider verse films, I guess as you want to call them, um, they are the best multiverse movies uh, of anything. Sure. Better than everything, everywhere, all at once, and better than you know, the, the MCU uh, products. Um, I, I think because they also have a really great heart and story to them. They're very funny. They're very, and they, they move at such a confident pace while not um, trying to just be about nostalgic references or trying to be about, you know, Oh, look, we, we had this little nugget from the other films too. It's the perfect, kind of vehicle for I think two of the great writers we have working today in Lord and Miller who with Jump Street and with the Lego uh, movie they essentially created these these worlds where they can do whatever they want and make fun of whatever and it'd be a little meta and self-deprecating uh, humor upon the property but then also really funny and heartfelt throughout those films too so they have a great balance and that's what these movies had and I thought this new one was even better because the first one's really about miles and this one is definitely about miles too, but it's, this one's much more about Gwen mm -hmm. and her story and the story of, of, of like secrets and of, of about your identity and what it means to be Spider-Man, the repercussions of it while also tapping into what I found so interesting about the film, which is the circle of how franchise storytelling is made especially in superhero movies. It is a giant plot point in this movie, and I don't want to spoil it, but it is the reason why Oscar Isaac's character exists in the film is to explain that all Spider-Man stories have to go a certain way. And Miles's is not going that way, and it could destroy the world, essentially. And I find that really interesting that a studio would greenlight this idea of we have you have all been making the same movie over and over again and audiences have been eating it up the reason why our movie is going to set it apart is we're going to try and break that mold and do it in a way that's different and fun 
but also taps into all those emotions maybe that or haven't been tapped into for those other films and make a more memorable experience and so i i just i was blown away by it. i think it's i think it's easily one of the top 10 films of the year so far yeah yeah me too i mean there's a six styles of animation in this movie one more beautiful than the other i don't even know where to start there's a 14-year-old kid named Preston Mutanga who actually did the animation for the Lego part. Have you read about him? I mean, no, I haven't. This kid, Preston, he did some animations based on on a trailer or something. And they saw this. Lord Miller said, do you want to come do this for our movie? And they brought him in. And he's actually the animator for the small little Lego part in this movie. This movie also really takes kids seriously and and it takes mm-hmm. diversity in such a real way in the family dynamics here just feel so real and it's an animated movie and we had such a good time in the theater my audience was like 13 14 year old kids they were gasping at every new reveal they were applauding they're seeing themselves in this. They're seeing the style and the music. Um, and it's also a really great story. And I'm not a connoisseur of the Spider-Man comics, but even I understood that they've taken from so many decades, so many different styles of animation. So I was really impressed by it. I mean, it's it's a movie for me also, too. I mean, it's kind of what I've been clamoring for for such a long time in seeing diversity up on the big screen and not just using it as like a selling point or talk, you know, kind of like a throwaway thing. I think miles is heritage. Um, you know, being an Afro Latino superhero, it is so important is. to this movie. It's so important to and the it world feel that they built for him. No, it, no, it doesn't. It, you're right. And then, you look at Gwen's world, it's very, I mean, she is the Spider-Man in, you know, she's, she's Spider-Girl in that whole world. There is no other one. And there isn't a bunch of sexist dicks running around going like, why is there only a Spider-Woman? Why is there not a Spider-Man? You know, how our world is. I mean, you just look at the treatment of regardless of how good the movie is you look at the worldwide treatment of something like the little mermaid and shows how sexist and racist our world can be and yet with this property it's been almost the, the it's the exact opposite there's been such an embrace because one it's a very good movie and i think that might be a little bit of an issue with why some people don't like little mermaid but i definitely think it's there's more deep-seated hatred that's also very bigoted and and rude um when Haley bailey's just given a good performance and it's she's she's not the disney people she's not rob marshall that why they made those decisions but this movie it's it's you're right it's not about trying to just be like whoa we need to have uh, Miles Morales be have uh, diversity on his side, and 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 this and this and that. You know what I mean? Um, you know, it, it's it's about presenting him as just Miles, presenting his family these conflicts, normalizing it, and then you you. I mean, I was in a the theater, um, and I had 
family sitting next to me and their kids that were looking right up at the screen and they were saying, that's Spider-Man. And usually when you say, that's Spider-Man, it's Peter Parker. Mm-hmm. It's every white, young dude that's ever played this character, especially in live action form. And I know it's animated and I know Sony's going to try to do a live action Miles Morales sometime soon. And I mean, I'm I'm looking forward to that, even though I'm I'm also not looking forward to that. <laughs> but but um because I worry about them doing what I just said that they are not doing here. But for kids to say like this is their Spider-Man, that's huge. That's so huge. Or saying that Gwen is their Spider-Man, Spider-Woman, you know, I mean it's 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 important because then that anyone can play these roles. And stop, you know, and and also they can play them if the story's great and the creative team around them is is smart enough to do it in a way that feels not shoehorned, perfect for the characters and in the movie that they're trying to make. And then I mean, my God, there's I mean, there's like five or six different worlds in this movie. There's hundreds of different kinds of Spider-Man that are put into this. Uh, it's so detailed. I think Lord Miller's script is one of the best of the year. Daniel Pemberton's score is incredible. I mean, there's the whole Miles Morales chase where he's getting chased by all the Spider-Men in this Mm -hmm. movie. And it is, you're on the edge of your seat. And that's what's so great about this one too. It's not really based around any comic books. They're creating their own story. And they're not trying to set up a giant, um, you know, 50 film franchise. This is a self-contained trilogy. And that's what's so great about it. It's like, there will be an end story to all of this. They're not doing a part four. They've already said that if they did, I would be really pissed because like, I just want to see this story the way they want to make it kind of just end on that note. Cause it set itself up for a really interesting sequel next year. Um, in conclusion with beyond the Spider-Man, and, or Spider Verse, and so, um, yeah, I, it it's it's one of those films that I kind of sit there and I go, I I didn't get to go to my press screening, so I was I was like sitting in my seat and everybody was over, you know, when you see the overhyping, right, and you see everybody go four and a half, five star, four and a half, five star, four and a half, five star on Letterbox, you're like, oh no, yeah, <laughs> what if I don't like this movie? And uh, the more I've, I've I've walked away from, it, I'm like, man, I want to I want to see it again. Like ASAP, you know. What do you see in terms of Oscar chances? I I know everybody wants to be, I I know everybody wants to be very hyperbolic and they want to, you know, best picture. You know what I mean? It's like I get that. I I, I tend to obviously, as you always know, Christy, I try to tend to lean a little bit more against that because I I rather be surprised than be disappointed or, you know, um. You know, wait and see is always a better idea, you know, because there's still a ton of movies left to come out this year. And, um, you know, I know everybody will go, well, everything everywhere all at once did that. And you said last year that wasn't going to probably happen. I'm like, yeah, but Killers of the Flower Moon moved to this year and some movies moved to this year and things change. And some and then you see some movies and they're not as good. And so therefore things change. It's always changing. That, That being said. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> remember you know that? I mean? Uh, yeah, I try not to. Um, <laughs> but um, I think that obviously 
um, best animated feature is it's really going to be the one to lose yeah. at this point, unless, you know, another movie from this month does really well for people. Um, but the first one did it won and I, you know, beat a Pixar movie and Disney yeah. movies and stuff. So I, I think the only film that could beat across the spider verse is that if um, director Miyazaki's film qualifies in time and, and it's truly a, as a special of a last film from him as most of his films are. So that's the only one yeah, I could so see, I can see that. Okay. Um, upsetting that. I think it could get into potentially um, maybe sound category. I know that they, they had some sound issues when they first released it, but uh, they fixed those. Um, I think that the score for Daniel Pemberton will be up there. Um, but best picture, it'll be probably in like the 11 to 20 category. It just, I mean, it's very tough for animated films to get in there if they're not Pixar or Disney. I mean, I think I look at last year with uh, Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio. This is from a director that has won best picture and best director and they love him. And that movie was universally loved. And they said, uh, and it had like Alexander Desplat and it had all these, you know, all these people that have worked with him many, many years, right. You know, on the crafts. And they said, animated feature and that's it for you thank you have a good night and you're literally the first oscar of the night so then please you know take your oscars and go home like so um so i worry about that but you know still it's a long year but it it should be considered up for some of the for the big stuff too um around the same time a couple 10 days ago whatever transformers rise of the beasts i haven't seen it myself i was just wondering i mean how did these two in terms of box office did you see transformers mm. what are your thoughts i didn't get to see transformers uh like you um that's kind of by choice <laughs> it's that uh, it's it's and i'm there are a lot of people that really still like it because it made you know what like 61 million dollars at the domestic box office it did pretty well um it's it's I mean, it's got a giant budget, so it needs to do well. Uh, but Spider Verse's second weekend was still very strong. It was very, it was very close to repeating. Um, I think that you know the film that that you know I read a tagline for it or something that it was like a prequel, but it was also a sequel. You know what I mean? So it's like it's it's kind of trying to have its cake <laughs> it and eat it too. Nothing it's like, anymore. What, what's that? I mean, it it it's wild. So yeah. um, I I I don't know. I know that the good thing is Michael Bay's not touching it. Um, it's more in line with like the Bumblebee film that came out a couple of years ago. Um, you know, Anthony Ramos and Dominic Fishback, two two actors that I absolutely really love, and I love their you know their filmographies, um, and their body of works. But um, yeah, it's it's not something that I I mean I sat through Age of Extinction a couple of years ago from Michael Bay, and that was two and a half two hours and 45 minutes of movie that I can't get back in my life. And uh, so anytime a Transformers movie comes on, I, I'm just like, I'm tapped out. I can't do it anymore, guys. It's not that I, you'd rather not that I wouldn't Texas want heat. to. Yeah. I'd rather be outside for, <laughs> I mean, it's it, the, the movies, can, those movies can be a little brutal and a little um, uh, repetitive for me, but I know a lot of people really like them. You know, because they're just, they're, again, I think they're just big, dumb action movies that some people really love. You know, like Fast and Furious, like I know a lot of people hate those movies. I thought the new one was a lot of fun and very stupid, but just, you know, it depends on your kind of cup of tea for it. Um, but, you know, it's also like they're PG-13 and kids love cars and explosions and things. And so it's not a bad time for people to go. Um, maybe it's a, a visual effects player down the road. I don't know. 
Um, but it's it's not going to do much more than needing to make its money back. Um, I want to talk to you about another June movie, which is not one of these huge blockbuster um, special effects sequel prequels, because this movie, it reminds me of how people were talking about a movie. You mentioned everything, everywhere, all at once around this time. It doesn't remind me of the movie itself, but it reminds me of this sort of Oscar talk, and that's Past Lives, um, yeah. a romantic drama written by Celine Song. It's her first feature directorial debut, and you've seen it, and tell me. Okay, so remember when I talked to you about Across the Spider-Verse, and I was sitting there, I was like, well, you know, hype can really ruin things, right? You know, it can it can really just kind of destroy... Um, <laughs> it can destroy your anticipation, or it can make you feel very nervous. So when you see from Sundance, because it was one of the Sundance films that didn't um, virtually premiere, so you had to be there at Sundance, and then played a couple small festivals um, along its way, and um, everybody's been giving it four and a half. A lot of people have been giving it five stars. And um, Christina, you know my rule. I don't give five-star films to movies in its given year. It, it, it had to take a special movie in order to do that. Past Lives is that special movie. It's the brief encounter of our generation, um, the David Lean film, um, the classic. I think this movie is it's so good. It's so it's it's very simple in what it's trying to like tell, but it's so complex in its emotionality. And when I found out that Celine Song was a first time filmmaker, um, and then you watch it and you're like, how? How is she a first time filmmaker? Because this is a, a movie that feels like it's in the hands of somebody that's been doing it for fifteen to twenty years. Kind of like Charlotte Wells with After Sun last year for me. Very right? much so. Like very. <laughs> confident hands you're in here and it's very personal because this is a movie that's loosely based off events from her life so i'm just going to quickly say for those it's like a reunion between two childhood friends right and then they meet again and they sort of contemplate their relationship and where they are in their lives today yeah it's 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 even a little bit more complicated than that because it's it's you know it takes in um you know kind of korean traditions and, and and whatnot in 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 lore in 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 their culture and um mixed with this friendship that was also potentially a, like your first crush your first relationship and you then mix that over time in multiple interactions that they have and then at the time in which they meet as adults she's married he's still a little aimless in his in his life a little lonely and he comes to visit her in New York where she's living and these, and it's about like, you know, three days worth of kind of conversations. And that takes up a, the chunk of the back half of the film. And um, it's elegantly shot, beautifully scored. Cinematography is incredible. The editing is in, impeccable. Um, I think that the way that song and her team uses blocking is so important. Um, you know, also lighting, you know, to convey how, you know, they're seeing one another, how looks and glances, it's very much a looks and glances 
sort of film, you know, where you just where where those those facial expressions say everything more than the words. And it is a very and it it does have some great dialogue. Um, you know, or you know, I think that Greta Lee's performance is the type of performance that usually does not get recognized by the Academy because there's so much subtlety in it. Um, and, but it's so effortless. It, it also reminds me with talking about brief encounter also reminds me a little of, you know, director, you know, Wong Kar wise films. It, it has that aching uh, longingness of mm. in the mood for love in there too. Um, but it's not really, it's not tapping into those directorial influences. It's not like, it's not like, you know, how like literally everything everywhere all at once has direct shots taken like it's from a Wong Kar Wai film. It's just the emotion of having those films is it's what you feeling. recall. Yeah, it's the feeling. And so I think, um, I think it's a, a damn near perfect film. Um, I want to see it again. I was a mess by the end of it. I think the final two shots are incredible. They are incredible. And um, yes, I, 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 I am very hesitant again um, in, <laughs> in um, saying my favorite film of the year will be nominated for best picture. <laughs> um, and it might be the first time in a long, long time that my favorite film of the year might stay that favorite film of the year all the way from June. I think I don't think that that's happened since Mad Max Fury Road, which is a, a very rare thing to happen. Um, and there's a lot of great movies coming out, but I don't know if there's one I'm going to want to come back to nearly as much as this. I already have my tickets planned out to see it again. Um, and it's one that it does repeat. You want repeat viewings, but it's also going to break your heart every time. So just be prepared for that. Um, but it's, but like I'm, I'm, actor director actress supporting actor screenplay score cinematography picture it's editing all, all on the package. table all on the table i would put it all on the table i think there's just an original song at the credits i don't remember i could be wrong um maybe that's in there too um this is like the film that i hope a24 goes all the way again with i mean this is this is like best of the decade kind of stuff that you're talking about here. You know, it's, it's a lot of hyperbole, but it's, I'm telling you, everybody well, that I've you. talked to every, you know, everybody that I talked to afterwards, we all agree. I'm like, we're being very hyperbolic about this, but this one very much deserves it. You know, the last couple of years really hasn't earned that, you know, kind of hype for some films. I think like the last film to kind of deserve this type of over hyperbolic praise, maybe be something like parasite. Mm -hmm. Or when you just see it, you know, you know what I mean? This is one of those, you see it, you know it, you know, and it's a lot better than the last best picture film that came from Sundance. And it's much better, I think, than, than everything everywhere all at once, because it, it's, it's, it, they're completely different films. This is a much more somber meditation. It's much more of a movie that I would go for, but it's built on so much familiarity and so much originality. And, um, I don't know how Celine Song doesn't get like recognition throughout the year. I mean, it's not just like she debut will. stuff. It's like in a lineup of five for a director too. And we're and I know that um, Eric 
Anderson um, had a conversation with uh, director Song and Greta Lee uh, up over at Awards Watch, and it was a fantastic conversation. So I highly encourage Check everybody to go and, and read that. Yeah, over at Awards Watch. Well, moving on to, again, the bigger blockbusters, you were mentioning before that it's a Pixar year. Elemental is coming out next week. I don't know if you've had a chance to see it. I have I have not had a chance to see it. I actually see it like in two days, um, but, but I'm very much looking forward to it. Um, I've Surprisingly, like when it came out of Cannes, there was like decent sort of, rep, you know, kind of noise. And then seems like people have kind of settled on it like it's well, i've seen it actually oh you've seen it oh okay yeah well so this is pixar's latest and it takes place in an elemental city where residents are literally like fire and water beings um it's an immigrant story a father who's built of a built up a business a store and his daughter ember is expected to take over it's also a love story with a very unlikely pairing between fiery ember and a water being a city inspector named wade the movie is fine um it's beautifully animated it has a really heartwarming arc between father and daughter but for me pixar has lost something um something that Spider-Verse, for example, that we just talked about has. Um, it's, a lot of, it's lost a little bit of its historical originality that all the other movies in the beginning of their run had, where the messaging just wasn't so convoluted and characters didn't always turn into animals or were elements and the world building just feels a bit overstuffed. It's like they're literally doing cartwheels to get certain messages in that they've done before but better i'm maybe a bit unfair because it is really beautiful but there it is yeah it feels like they're you're talking about elements from elemental watered down mm-hmm. a little yes. bit you know what I mean, than <laughs> what they used to be um I'm, i'll be proud of that joke one uh, later when i l- re-listen to this um but <laughs> um i agree i mean like they had a run every movie they were making was like spectacular and they also had filmmakers that had really vast original ideas they kind of gave them carte blanche to make them i mean you're talking about like monsters inc and finding nemo and um you know wally and ratatouille and the incredibles and and uh, the the first three toy story movies and all these things you know and you know, I think they they kind of went into like a little bit of a sequel phase when they went with you know finding you know finding Dory and um, you know uh, Toy Story four and and all the and uh, Monsters University and things like that. Now they're kind of like it, it, they're in this weird era for a studio where you know I think uh, Coco was great, um, you know, and I think that Luca was Luca, was really like good Luca. too. But then, like, I wasn't as big on turning red as others were. I wasn't big on soul. I've never been a peak doctor guy. But that one's like, I mean, for a movie that everybody like loved during the year, like nobody talks about it. Um, you know, the good dinosaur, eh, you know, um, you know, onward, people kind of forgot about that one. Lightyear was a complete disaster for them last year. This one also has like I don't know. It just there's like it feels very inside outy. If you know, it feels like they've done this before. I I know that on like the you know the marketing 
it's not no, a bad no, movie. No. It takes a very beautiful arc where yeah. something is established in the beginning between the father and daughter that happens at the end that's just beautiful. And it, it just, especially for me, after seeing I had seen like Spider-Verse a week before, it just yeah. doesn't feel original. It feels like they're sort of walking in the same very obvious messaging. The metaphors became so obvious, I think, even for kids. Yeah. And I think also, too, kind of veered away from having um, any voice actors that may be like a, like a name or like a, um, you know, or, or somebody that an audience could cling to. You know, like I think for a movie like Inside Out, big, heavy concept, right? To have like Amy Poehler be like, you know, and Mindy Cayley and, and uh, Lewis Black and Bill Hader and, mm -hmm. and have that voice crew really carry that film. Right. I think that that's, that's, that's big, you know, um, you know, even like soul has like Jamie Foxx and Tina Fey, you know, this movie is widely the, the actors are unknown. And I think that that's great, but you know, for the, you look at the tracking on it box office wise, it's going to, it's going to struggle to make its money back. And that used to not be the case. You put a Pixar movie in the middle of summer and yeah, yeah. that movie was making a bunch of money. Probably there was even could like look at finding Nemo. That's the number one movie um, outside of, I think Lord of the Rings that year. Um, I think it was the number one movie of the summer at least. Um, and so, yeah, I, I, you know, and then I, I mean, obviously like Toy Story movies, they just like, you know, on a machine, they just make money, you know, <laughs> but, um, but no, I, I am, I, you know, I'm, I'm curious to see it. I mean, I see it in two days, but it's also one I've been like, yeah, I'm also like, not like, I think Spider-Man across the Spider-Verse kind of spoiled all of this. And I think that that's, and I think that that's okay to say, um, but it's also not fair. It's also like not fair to this movie, really, it's when you not. get down to it, because it's like, you know, talking about someone who keeps doing the same thing over and over. But uh, I absolutely <laughs> adored this movie. That's Wes Anderson's Asteroid City, because um, I don't think you got a chance to see that yet. I see it on I see it on Thursday, but I I have seen I did do a rewatch of all of his movies in the last week. So. Yeah, I'm really excited for it. Ruin and that the expectations become too. Because the thing about you and me, Ryan, I think one thing I think we have in common, you can correct me if I'm wrong, if we get we can get quite emotional over a director really going to that personal place, right? When we talked about yeah. Spielberg, and I think we're going to talk about Scorsese eventually and just sort of putting it out there. Mm -hmm. This is Wes Anderson putting himself out there right front and center as a director and i found it really moving and chock full of everything we west heads want from anderson from the tableaus to the mise-en-scene to everything astrid city takes place in an american desert town sometime in the 50s it's a star junior stargazing convention a bunch of characters played by the likes of Tom Hanks, Scarlett Johansson, Jason Schwartzman, and some really great teen actors are stuck there in the desert due to some events that potentially change the world. And at the same time, there's like this framing plot that takes place in a theater group who are acting things out that are related to this, so to speak. 
There's a line um, in the movie that goes something like, even if you don't understand the play, keep telling the story. And that's where I felt that Anderson is really getting personal here. Why are we telling these stories? What happens to all our stories? Plus, there's all these elements I felt of Rushmore and Tenenbaums and Brainiac children. A whole bunch of people who are extremely verbal but still can't get at those most inner feelings. There's a sadness in these pastels that really got to me. One of his best, and I mean, he has a lot to choose from. I can't wait to see it. Um, I, I, you know, I think Wes gets just this really bad freaking rap um, as a director because people are like, it's so Wes Anderson that it's it's so un- it's like the most Wes Anderson Wes Andersy thing ever, and it's like, <laughs> yeah, okay, he has his own style, which I mean, thank God that he does because most directors don't. And then they become like, like you see their work and you're like, it was that even directed by the same person? Um, so it has his own familiarities to it. But I tell you, rewatching all of his movies, it's not a bad one in the bunch. Um, he doesn't make bad movies. Um, I think that like, I think Tendon Mops is his best movie oh, um, upon the rewatch. I love Fantastic Mr. Fox. I always had that one high at number one, but the, Tenenbaums always gets me but you know his last film the French dispatch a lot of people didn't like that one and i loved it and i thought it was so emotional too because it, you could really feel as if, like as as that was for west the writer you know the writer that has fallen in love with so many of its influences and really had this kind of cradle and care to him throughout that film and i think of particularly the jeffrey wright you know sequence there to be the most emotional for me um and still plays significantly well um and i do think that he does have a lot more emotion and sentimentality to him than people give him credit for i mean grand budapest sending and and even moonrise kingdom there's there's a lot of uh, of bittersweetness and sadness inside those films too um so i i i think that wes is one of our directors that i, I don't say can't do no wrong but is one that you know, people people beat him up a little too much uh, for, you know, having his films look really good. You know what I mean? And I'm a Wesson. I like every single thing about his tableaus and his dialogue. I never get tired of it. So, I mean, a huge cast. I mean, you, you, you know, Schwartzman, Hanks, uh, Scarlett Johansson, uh, Jeffrey Wright, Margot. I mean, uh, the, the Hope Davis, uh, 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 Adrian Brody, Je- you know, um, Steve Carell, so many people in the Jeff Goldblum, Hung Chow, you know, it, there's the, yeah, yeah. So I, I, so I, look I literally, to that. I cannot wait. Yeah, I'm, I'm driving. I have to drive all the way to another city to see it. That's how much ex- excitement I am to to see it. You know what I mean? Just a couple more things here for June. Um difficult to wrestling a bit as how to talk about the flash of course everyone knows that ezra miller uh has caused a lot of problems been in a lot Mm -hmm. of criminal activity hurt a lot of people the team around the flash have made sure he hasn't done any press they seem to have more been um pushing batman the michael keaton and ben affleck have seemed to be even more in the trailers 
what do you make of how the promotion's going to be? What's going to happen to this movie? Do you see this impacting it at all? Yeah, well, I think they, because they're uh, non-binary and, yes. and um, um, they, them pronouns. Uh, I think they have dug this movie and quite frankly, um, everyone that is involved with it into a massive hole um, because it, it, this is this is how I kind of felt when um, the allegations for Ansel Elgort were going around uh, in West Side Story. And I said for a long, long time, I was like, well, you could clearly because the pandemic and everything was, you know, you could go back and reshoot stuff, you know, what I mean, or, you know, get Ansel out of that film. And people were like, no, you can't do it. And I'm like, well, he's Steven Spielberg. You can do whatever the fuck he wants. You know what I mean? And this is a DC product and they want to make it one of the greatest superhero movies of all time. If you listen to a bunch of people over at Comic-Con and it's yeah, got, it's like had Stephen good King. buzz, you know? Yeah. And, and everything. I think that I, I haven't seen the film yet. I'm sure, you know, it's whatever. It's a comic book movie built on nostalgia. I'm sure Keaton's great for, you know, cause Keaton's always great. I'm more interested also in the, the super girl aspect of it, you know, uh, a Latina, you know, Colombian, uh, you know, Supergirl. Uh, love seeing that, and I first she steals the show. But yes, there is the massive Ezra Miller problem sitting right there in the middle of this, and there's not just one Ezra Miller; there's two. Um, so, um, I think that they, Warner Brothers, that that is, they will make sure that they are are not near this movie. You know, within a country mile, they'll have everybody you know, have to answer possibly questions about it. And I'm sure those actors will probably give no comments because they really can't say anything because it's not their life experience. And really nobody should ask them those damn questions to begin with, because the, the real question should be to the producers and to the heads of Warner brothers, as well as also um, Ezra Miller themselves. Like those are where those questions should be. So to the, you know, to the, maybe even to the director, um, but to the cast, no, they were hired to do a job and they did that job. And so it's not fair to them. I don't know how the film's going to do. I mean, uh, again, another multiverse film <laughs> um, in the middle of this summer. It might not, you know, do as hot as uh, as Spider-Verse because the fact that it does have controversies surrounding it. There are other movies that will be coming out. Um, but uh, yeah, I think that there's... It's the biggest walking on eggshells film release in years. And I hope that for the victims of anything that have happened at the hands of Ezra Miller, they themselves are, are thought about more in this and are doing okay. And then I also hope that Ezra Miller themselves get the help they need and it sticks. There's a, a an entire entire um different timeline later maybe this year or in the coming years where there will be a massive conversation around their their actions someone desperately trying to scream for help but also doing dangerous things so for the flash itself are you talking about Warner ezra just kind of, that, that the yeah i'm talking about yeah. for ezra the, they're going to they're going to have to go on a massive apology tour and it's going to and it's going to take years to do so but you know when you hear that Warner Brothers is like yeah we would if we did a flash sequel we want Ezra Miller to do it 
and it's like well, okay well there's needs to it's kind of hard to push a movie when your main star can't do press because they're locking people up in basements or whatever you know it's 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 yeah so um it's it's really it's really weird um and it's not and it's it, it's the it's the thing that we over in, in a lot of places don't really want to talk about because it's it's also like how do you talk about it? we don't know all the all the details really um you know and of what they're going to do and it's really you only have you don't have a lot of you have stories but it's not 100 i feel verified at times it's it's so weird and so like when we were doing the movie draft over at awards watch we just like we're like well stay clear of that movie <laughs> if we sort of let that go for a minute of, of the ezra miller is the flash in general um something that you think audiences really want to go see as a- i think i think they do i think that it, one superhero movies are still a thing um i mean there is a fatigue it seems like with them but then you look at Guardians. Guardians has crossed eight hundred million dollars. So, but that just might be because it's the Guardians of the mm-hmm. Galaxy, um, and it's the final sort of leg for them because Ant Man has didn't do very well or as well as one would think. And then Shazam, Fury of the Gods, um, uh, did you know did not do well at all. And Black Adam was a, a giant flop, really, when you think about it. So. DC's in this rebuild of like they have these films left. This Aquaman film, they've got a and Blue Beetle. They got to dump those before they get to James Gunn's new vision uh, for their expanded universe. While alongside, they'll have you know their sort of elsewhere films where like that's where Joker two lives and that's where uh, the Matt Reeves Batman films live. And but they aren't connected to James Gunn's thing, and it's very confusing. But but. Um, they kind of have to like get rid of these. They have a lot of supposed like spoilers, Easter eggs, a lot of stuff for fans. I I just, you know, again, the, this product has been burned so many times because of it's part of the Zack Snyder universe and, and all that different stuff and, and everything. I don't know if audiences are just tired or they're like realizing they don't really matter really anymore because of the, there'll be new stuff, but um We'll see. I mean, I, I mean, the idea of seeing Michael Keaton as Batman yeah. should get me in a theater. But when that trailer plays every time, it feels so made out of a machine that it doesn't feel like it feels like AI generated. You know what I mean? It doesn't feel like, like it's like when Keaton does that line of, you know, his classic line from the first, you know, from the first Batman Burton film, like, you want to get nuts? Let's get nuts. Feels like somebody's holding a gun off camera. Say, say the line, Michael. You know what I mean? So I don't know. I I, I mean, it's tracking at like, it's tracking kind of low. So we'll see. Um, there's so much coming in July and I'll call on you again for everything from Oppenheimer to Barbie. But I want to end up June in this show. And neither of us, I think, have seen the one coming june 30th and that's indiana jones and the dial of destiny what is your relationship to indiana jones and this coming movie are you excited i don't i don't give a shit what anyone says about this movie it's an indiana jones movie it's harrison ford putting on the fedora grabbing the whip 
I, I, I love Indiana Jones. I love Harrison Ford. One of the greatest movie stars we've ever had. I love that curmudgeon old man to death. Uh, if you haven't watched shrinking this year on Apple TV oh, so plus, good. you really should. He's phenomenal on that. I hope he wins the, the Emmy. Um, you know, it's just, it's the character he's always loved. There's, I mean, I cried watching him receive the special Palm door over in, over at con uh, a couple of weeks ago. Um, there's just something about him and there's something about Indiana Jones because it's, it's really one of, it's like star Wars and jaws. It's one of the original franchises of all time. Um, I think Raiders of the Lost Ark is Steven Spielberg's greatest film. And I think it is the greatest action film ever made. So does it worry you that it's James Mangold and not Steven Spielberg this time? Okay. So I'm not a big Temple of Doom fan. So that's like a point against like Steven Spielberg. I do think Last Crusade is phenomenal. Another top 10 Steven Spielberg film. I mean, there is Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. You know what I mean? <laughs> like if we want to see like what, what Spielberg would have done in a modern sense. Um, I know that. I mean, I don't think that movie is as bad as people think it is, but it's it's definitely not like great, right? Um, I think James Mangold is one of our most confident um, directors we have working today. Um, I mean, name me some bad James Mangold films, probably really early in his career. You know, Logan's very good. You know, like his his X Men movies have been very good. Walk Ford the Line, very good. Four V Ferraris. I mean, talk about one of like more rewatchable films over the last five, 10 years. It's 4V Ferrari. Anytime that's on HBO, I'm like, well, I'm stuck with 4V Ferrari for the next hour and a half. And I'm totally okay with that. Um, he's very confident in what, in, in what he can do. It's got a great supporting cast. Phoebe Waller-Bridge, Matt Mickelson, Antonio Banderas. Um, I'm looking forward to it. And it, if anything, it's the last chance I'm ever going to see Harrison Ford play Indiana Jones. And I don't, and I don't care if it's good or bad. I think, I think that the mistake was premiering it at Cannes, mm-hmm. um, where it wouldn't be as favorable or because everybody yeah, that has seen it here that I trust with like nerd culture, they're eating it up. So, and there are some I'm f- with you. So I yeah. cannot wait. I mean, for me, I don't know how many times all of my kids and myself have been Indiana Jones for different Halloween iterations. Right. Who doesn't want to be Indiana Jones? I mean, who doesn't? Can't wait. I love Phoebe Waller-Bridge. I love the casting of her in this. Mads Mikkelsen as a bad guy? Oh, my God, yeah. Oh. And I'm even, I know, you know, sure, the the um, de-aging, we'll, we'll see. I'm enjoying the fact that we'll get to see him go back. Yeah, it's also like, it's a little bit of the film. It's not the whole film. You know what I mean? Like, it's fine. You know what I mean? And Kathleen Kennedy is in, in them at Lucasfilm. They have said that there is no film without Harrison Ford. And so they have this technology. They're not going to use it again because they all know that like Harrison Ford will come back and kill them all. John Wick style. You know what I mean? Um, it just feels like, you know, and, and honestly, Harrison Ford said he wanted to work with James Mangold when they, when he said, if I couldn't be Spielberg, find somebody that that has a vision and everything and then when they finally found mangled and they talked to him he said that's the guy i want to work with right if he wants to because he won't do it because he's he's denied them for it's like kind of like maverick with Cruz. he's told them no many times over the last you know 30 40 50 years they've done this so like 
it's not like it's not like he's just like making this is like the 90th indiana jones film this is only the fifth one they've ever done so um and he so, was yeah. restrictive so, in the star restrictive yeah. in everything he's done in that in that sense but aren't you just loving this last year of harrison ford with shrinking and then i didn't see the yellowstone prequel but i just love the fact that he's doing tv and this is coming and the award at con and i'm, I'm just really I mean, loving it <laughs> i expect sooner rather than later a honorary oscar oh yeah i feel like an honorary oscar will be in his yeah i mean it's crazy that like he you know i was talking with a writer of mine over at awards watch uh sophia simonello and we were talking about how like ford has so many great performances but he almost got like robert redford you know what i mean mm. or like he's so pretty that people forget that he's also a very good actor like, you know, I think of his work in Working Girl, all the women get nominated. Harrison Ford does not like his work in The Fugitive is fantastic. And yet, like only Tommy Lee Jones gets nominated and the film gets nominated for a picture. It's like it's weird. All these movies are getting nominated for picture. Yet the actor, the like one of the biggest, the biggest actor on the, the marquee is not getting anything for it. Um, he's only got the one Oscar nomination for Witness. Uh, the Peter Weir film, which he's very good into. Amazing, but, and I loved him in that. I mean, I, I you know, he's not getting nominated for Indy. I'm not saying any of that, but what, but what I'm saying is, this is like, this is a legend. And when you know, Except legends step away as from a pilot, things, as you and I have mentioned before. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but when le legends step away from things, it's 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 huge. It's huge, and I I, I think I mean it's tracking low right now, but I think you know. You know, these box office tracking things, you know, the thing about it is, it's like the international market's so huge for these movies. Like you look at a movie like Fast X, it did all right here. It's done so well overseas and Indiana Jones will do so well overseas. It'll be a ridiculous amount of money. Um, and also too, it's a long summer. Like I expected to do, I expected to do fine. I do you know? have one note on that though, that I'm noticing with my <clears throat> boys is I think, I'll go see it with my younger kid, but I don't think it's a huge teen movie. I don't think Indiana Jones franchise is the one that's like getting the groups out to see um, Spider-Verse or the horror film Talk to Me or something. Yeah, I think I think I think it's a think nostalgic probably, film. Maybe so. But also like nerd culture loves Indiana Jones. That last one made like eight hundred million dollars, I think, or something like that. Um, and that was a movie that people didn't like it even at the time. So it's not, and they kept going back to see it and probably point out why they didn't like it. Um, I think it'll do fine. I don't think it will like break shadow records or anything, but it will, it will probably make like five, 600, which is like breaking even for, for a 290 budget or something like that. Mm -hmm. It's a lot of money, that movie. But that de-aging technology, it just asks Scorsese, that de-aging technology <laughs> can really just screw up your budgets um but but yeah no um you know very very much I, I i can see that a lot you know that's why but then also too it's right at the last weekend of june and it's right before the real oh stuff God. in july starts happening because then we like the next week is mission impossible and then tom like, cruise and nolan fisticuffing over those IMAX and then right theaters. and then while they're fighting <laughs> off 
Greta Gerwig and Barbie's right there with them. You know what I mean? So it's it's such a busy like three week corridor God, July is of of the summer that like it's great for movie theaters and it's great for for us as movie lovers and it's just great in general because that's look at look at it Indiana Jones that's like you're saying a different a one demographic than that's different than Mission Impossible that's different than Barbie that's probably Oppenheimer and yet it's going to bring everybody to the theater. And I think that that's such a great thing. And then there's indie films in between and all this different stuff. And then there's people that didn't get to catch up on stuff from earlier in June. So I'm excited. I think that like, you know, last summer was fine and we just saw Maverick like 900 times and like got over it and like, uh, like got over everything else. Like this is like a summer that's perfect. This is a normal summer. And I pray to God that, the studios get their head out of their ass and realize how special summer this is and pay these writers the fair wages that they deserve and pay SAG after the, the wages that they deserve so we can get people back to work. You know what I mean? Just, I don't care what the, what they're asking for, pay them. They deserve it. The, the, none of these things would exist. And it's going to be a very quiet summer next year when nothing is being released or everything's Golden on the way. opportunity to not, fuck this summer up when there's going to be so many people in the theater and just go quiet again because no one's writing. I mean, that would be insane. Yeah. And it's going to hurt really the number one. It's going to hurt those writers. It'll hurt those actors. Also it'll hurt the theaters. Mm -hmm. It'll hurt the, the, the average person working at those theaters and hurt the job markets that those theaters provide. So, you know, the industry always forgets the people at the theaters the workers there. Those are the number one people because yeah, you can make your movie, but those are the people that are making sure that it's projected making sure that the concessions are done, making sure the tickets are ripped, making sure that everything is available so that the theater exists. So, um, you know, I, I wanted to say all that at the end. Well, it's exciting. So that, thank you for this little roundup of the, bigger block there's so many other movies you can catch of course and hope you'll talk to me again about this july madness oh um, yeah once i'll be comes. back for july <laughs> i mean there's nolan and barbies and oh, oh my god I'm, I'm ready for it I'm so, <laughs> this, is, this is all and, and tom cruise jumping off a cliff oh my god it's everything i want everything <laughs> ryan tell everyone where they can find you you can find me on twitter instagram and letterbox at ryan mcquade 77 you can find all my work um, at uh, Awards Watch. I almost forgot my own website there that I work for. I'm sure Eric would be very pleased. But yes, you uh, can also hear all of uh, my work uh, with the Awards Watch podcast that I do with Eric and the whole team over there. And uh, if I could do one quick plug, we have a newsletter that's over there. Um, and you can sign up for that newsletter at awardswatch.com. It's a great tool to get all of our articles and all of our interviews and podcasts and everything just kind of sent to you. You get two emails a week. It's two emails, but it's better than having to search for all of it. We house it in a perfect way to send it to all of y'all. And we, we put a lot of time and effort into that newsletter. So I highly recommend everybody uh, go and sign up for it. Um, it would mean the world to me. And also it would mean the world to Eric because he's he's the one that's really behind all of it. So uh, and again, all that stuff is at awardswatch.com. Thank you. No, yeah. Well, Things we love we love mouth. you, <laughs> and we like you know, and 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 
And this is going to be the team. summer when I finally get to meet you guys. I know. <laughs> so, this oh is my God. In real summer. life, we're all going to meet. We're going to do a crossover episode and it's going to explode the internet. It's going to be the real bomb that Christopher Nolan has been wanting to sell. Exactly. You know? Forget about that bomb. This is going to be the bomb. <laughs> <laughs> Ryan, thank you so much again and talk to you very, very soon. You've watched them in unforgettable adventures, love affairs and tragedies now it's time to hear their own remarkable stories from the makers of death of a rock star and death of a sports star this is death Ready. of a film star and starring heath ledger marilyn monroe chadwick boseman robin williams carrie fisher and bruce lee search for death of a film star in your podcast app You've seen them tell stories. Now it's time to tell theirs.